very excited this morning to have a guest with us. Uh, Mike Clark and I originally met for lunch uh, in 2019, and we had planned to have Mike here for our missions convention in 2020, and then COVID happened, and because he is, he lives overseas, and, and we don't, um, we couldn't do that. And so he graciously recorded something for us, and we had actually an online banquet because we weren't allowed to have meals in the church at that time. And so we had an online missions banquet, and Mike spoke at that. But it has been our intention since then, since then to have Mike back with us, and I think you're going to enjoy his ministry very much. Mike uh, is a missionary. He and his family, Laura and Ella, they are missionaries to German-speaking Europe. They uh, they minister in Germany, in Austria, in Liechtenstein. And, did I get that right? I was close anyway. Perfect. Uh, and so they are church planners, and, and they also minister in disaster areas around the world. Uh, if you were with us in 2020 for that missions convention, uh, online as it was, I know that you enjoyed Mike's ministry, and we're glad that he's here with us today. And so would you join me in welcoming Mike Clark in person to Bethany? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. It's a joy to be with you this morning. In fact, the last time I worshiped with you was in 1994. For some of you, that's, that's the Stone Ages. But you guys don't look a day older. You guys look good. You've supported my parents, Paul and Meshtod Clark, for decades. Thank you for your generous support. And I was a little teenager running around when my dad spoke here. And it's just so fun, years later, to bring my daughter and my wife to... Really a wonderful church, but even in a place like Bethany, you've been blessed with a wonderful pastor and family, with a great leadership team, with a great legacy. I believe the, the best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. This morning in our short time together, I want to turn our attention to the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. Don't be afraid. I might read the whole chapter, but we'll start looking at some verses in chapter 119 verses 161 for a moment but as pastor said i'm a i'm a, uh, I'm a church planner in german-speaking europe german-speaking europe has been my home for 40 years in 1983 i moved with my parents as a missionary kid and it's been amazing i always said i'd never be a church planner I'd never be a missionary i'll never live in germany i should have said i'll never win mega millions either but uh missions is in my blood but before my wife and I returned to Germany, we spent 15 years living in wars and disasters worldwide. We spent 15 years in over 80 wars and disasters in some of the toughest places, coordinating life-saving missions. Uh, I'm a subject matter expert in a, in a topic called humanitarian diplomacy. My PhD is in international law or the law of war. And so to this day, I'm still called upon to negotiate. I negotiate with armed groups to allow humanitarian aid to get into countries. I negotiate the release of aid workers or missionaries. So it's a really boring job. <laughs> but we've seen God do incredible things in some of the toughest places on earth. And this morning, it's my privilege just to give you a couple updates. We read in Psalm 119, verse 61, the following. Rulers persecute me without cause. Rulers persecute me 
without cause. We really don't know who wrote this psalm. It could have been David, could have been Solomon, could have been someone else, but the, sol- the psalmist here is writing about rulers in Hebrew, the sarem. These are the influencers. These are the commanders, these princes. These are men who can do evil because they have power, and the psalmist is writing, rulers persecute me without cause. We live in a world where evil reigns. Evil men using their power, using their resources for gain, for power, at the cost of those who can't defend themselves. I've seen the effects of these rulers. I've seen the tens of thousands of people fleeing the war, for example, in Syria. I've seen the results of genocide I've sat across these evil men, trying to convince them to allow aid work into the countries. I've looked into their eyes. Rulers persecute me without cause. This persecution takes on all different kinds of shapes and form. Just two weeks ago, I was in Egypt in the Middle East. I had lunch in a a ministry center that we are supporting. We were there. We got to meet some of the girls we've rescued out of the sex trade. And uh, we were having lunch. It was the best meal I had ever in the Middle East. It was cooked by a young woman who had just been saved a year before. She was raised Muslim. She was married off to a Muslim. But through one of the food distributions that Laura and I conducted, she came to one of our church services. She fell in love with Jesus, began to follow him. And then she made the one mistake But it was a thing that she had to do. She told her story to her husband who beat her almost to death. Then he dropped her at the door of her parents and said, I don't need this garbage anymore. She's a Christian. She is useless. And so her family beat her again and put her on the street. Then she was found by our crushed Christian brothers and sisters brought to the ministry center. She went first to the hospital. She became healthy. She got discipled. And now she is the cook in this ministry center, the best meal I ever had. And she said, Mike, I never thought that out of persecution, God could turn something so beautiful around. But my life is better than it's ever been before. It's testimony that God can turn something beautiful out of persecution. Rulers persecute me without cause. There isn't much reason for this world anymore for evil. People don't need a reason to hurt their neighbors. They don't need a reason to go after the innocent, people that they not even know or even care about. They don't need a reason. And so much is also in our life that when we face difficulty, when you face hardship, when you are facing that divorce, when you are facing that bankruptcy, sometimes it's hard to explain how did you get to this situation. And many of your hardships are without cause. There's nothing that you did to deserve it but living in a sin-filled, corrupted world. We read in John chapter 10 that the enemy, the devil, is only out to seek to destroy, to steal, and to kill. We all have a, really, a target on our back. The enemy wants to see you persecuted, to see you suffer without cause. 
And so many times I, I get this statement, I, just the other day when I was flying into Boston from Chicago, I was sitting next to a gentleman explaining him what I do, and he said, Mike, I don't know how you do it. I can't even watch the news anymore. I can't even look at all the evil around the world. How can you fly to these places and be exposed to the evil? I think that's really the, 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 really the normal response to humans. I, I can't see this anymore. I don't want to watch this anymore. But I'm convinced that God does not look the other way. And I'm convinced that we as Christians have really a responsibility to look evil in the eye and to consider what we can do to God's glory to fight that evil. But there's moments when we tremble. There's moments when we have this feeling, this, this evil cloud, all this hardship in my life, I not, cannot carry it anymore, and we begin to tremble. We begin to shake. We become afraid. The beginning of my ministry, I was deployed to Central Africa to the genocide. I had arrived 100 days after this genocide. In a matter of 100 days, 300,000 people had been killed. The Hutsi and the Tutu killing each other. Neighbors who had lived together for decades, for century in peace, began to kill each other. Massacre. So we arrived, and like in any war I've arrived, the supply chain, supply chain is destroyed. There is no food. The crops have been destroyed. People are not working the fields, and a famine followed this Civil War, and so we did a massive food distribution serving, I think, 100,000 people. We, I've never bought this many goats and chickens for people in my life, but I think we bought 20,000 goats and chickens just to help people to get back on their feet. We always invited people to just this traditional crusade, you know, a, a service. We distributed the food. We didn't connect the food to having to hear the gospel. We said, but come back tonight so you get to hear why we do what we do. And thousands came, and it was the first night of the crusade. I was sitting uh, on a chair waiting for the service to start. The stadium, the soccer stadium was filling up, and I saw these young men coming in. They were all armed with swords, with machetes. They did not look very, very friendly. And so I turned to my translator and said, well, who are these guys? He goes, oh, you don't want to know. I said, I really want to know. Who are these guys who are armed, right? He said, Mike, these, we call them the butchers. They're the ones who go out every night on revenge killings, who are avenging the deaths of their friends, their family, and their neighbors. And when the sun sets tonight, they will go out and they will begin to kill so I began to preach. You know, I've had tough audiences in my life. You know, I had my own father once fall asleep when I preach. I mean, I've had some tough preaching experiences. But when you have killers watching you who are armed, that just raises the standard a little more, right? My passage was in Philippians that someday every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess to Jesus the Lord that even those who have power today, those who have power over life and death today will someday stand before the maker of the universe. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And we communicated the gospel. The most interesting thing was at the end of the service as I was inviting people to come forward, it was those young men. They laid down their weapons. One man, he threw his machete in the ground, and they didn't just walk, but they ran forward to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
The psalmist here writes, rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. What causes you to tremble? What causes you to be afraid? What overwhelms you? What message today or tomorrow you might receive on the phone that will put your life into a tailspin? The psalmist who writes, these guys who persecute me, who have authority over life and death, are not the one who caused me to tremble, but it is the word of God that causes me to tremble because it's the word of God from the beginning, who spoke life into this universe, who created life. It is the name of the Lord and the word of God that truly bring life. I want to encourage you, in the moments when you tremble, return to God's word. God's word is that filter that puts your life, my life, puts this evil word back into existence, and it reminds us that at one word, God can change any situation. God can speak into your health. God can speak into your finances. And one word, your situation can change. We do not tremble for the forces of evil in this world. We tremble at God's word. The war of Syria and Syria was one that we really witnessed unspeakable suffering. I met a young girl in a refugee camp in Lebanon just a few years ago, Malika. Malika means princess in Arabic, and Malika was this beautiful little 11-year-old girl. In Syria, she had to witness as ISIS beheaded her entire family, her parents, her, her siblings, her grandparents. And as terrorists like to do, especially in the Middle East, they keep one member of the family alive so someone can tell of the unspeakable suffering that ISIS caused. Malika ran for her life into the desert. She began to tell me the story, I just began to cry. <laughs> for nearly 20 years in wars and disasters, my response of suffering is still just not to understand it, and this little girl turned to me and said, Mike, why are you crying? I said, well, Malika, just imagine you as a, at the time, 10-year-old walking through, through the desert alone. I just can't imagine it. And she goes, oh, no, I wasn't alone. Mike, I hid during the day. I slept during the day so ISIS couldn't find me. But at night, a man came to me. He said his name was Jesus. He took me by the hand and he walked me every night to the safety until I arrived at my aunt and uncle in the refugee camp in Lebanon. He said, Mike, you don't have to be sad because God told me that someday, he will wipe away all of my tears. Amen. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. Verse 162, I, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. This almost sounds a bit sadistic. Here, the psalmist is under persecution. This psalmist is perhaps hiding for his life, running for his life. And what does he say? I rejoice. He's not rejoicing in his circumstances. He's not rejoicing because he's being persecuted. He is rejoicing in the fact that God's promises is yes and amen. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I can tell you, you will learn to feel like a rich person when you learn to rejoice even in times of your suffering. 
in the moments when you have little, in the moments when you wake up and you are overwhelmed, perhaps you're a single parent and you don't even know how you're going to get through the next day. If you learn to rejoice, not because you're single, not because finances are tight, not because you're lonely, but you learn to rejoice that when God makes a promise, he keeps it, you will be a rich person. So many promises in God's word, and that's why in moments of hardship, please return to God's word. God primarily speaks through the Bible. And I want to encourage you to cling on to his promises. One of the promises that I've held on dearly in recent years is Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You may rejoice in the promise that God never leaves you nor forsake you. Even when you are alone, even when other people forsake you, you, it's impossible for a Christ follower to be alone because God can and will not leave you and he will preserve you. Several years ago, I was traveling quite a bit and I had a flight booked from Amsterdam to Brussels to meet new missionaries, to welcome them to Europe, to take care of them. And I had arranged them, hey guys, I will meet you at 9.30 at Starbucks in the Brussels airport. It was a fixed appointment. It's the place that I always hold my meetings in the Brussels airport. I had kind of my traditional chair that no one should ever sit on because it's Mike Clark's chair at Starbucks. The joke is, I don't even drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine, but I like that seat and I drink my water there. But I was about to board that flight to Brussels when Laura called me and Laura's put up with my traveling and being gone. But Laura said, Mike, I've never asked you of this. But I need you, and Ella needs you. Do not fly to Brussels, but fly home. So I said, well, I've been married for 20 years. I know what it means to live in war zones, and that's nothing compared to an angry wife. So (laughs) I booked my flight to Frankfurt instead. And while I was in the air, terrorists bombed the Brussels airport. And the second bomb was placed right next to my favorite chair. You see, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. God preserves us. We don't know God's sovereignty, how long he chooses us to be on this earth. I believe God is the giver and taker of life. But I guarantee you, as long as God wants you to be breathing, as long as God wants you to keep on fighting in this world, although it may be evil, as long God chooses us to be on this earth for his witness, he will never leave us, nor will he let us forsake us. He is faithful. Therefore, we rejoice in his promise like one who finds great spoil. Verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. We live in a world full of lies, but you know who lies the most? You and I. And we lie to ourselves. From the moment you and I wake up, we talk to ourselves. I'm told it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't expect a response. But we talk to ourselves, but the problem is in this world, we often tell ourselves lies. I'm not good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm a loser. I'm a quitter. We wake up and often we begin to stuff ourselves 
full of lies. And the problem is we believe them. Here we see the psalmist saying, I hate and I abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Every time you return to God's word, God filters reality and shows you truth. So in this moment, perhaps when you're asking questions about life, perhaps you are seeking for answers in your life, perhaps in your marriage there really isn't much hope right now. And in these moments, we tell ourselves so many lies and often has to do with hopelessness. There is no end. There is no way out. I cannot do this anymore. But when we return to God's word, his word puts everything into perspective and reminds us that there's hope. So many times I've been overwhelmed by the suffering I've seen, the killings, the starvation, the devastation. But every time I return to God's word, I read in Psalm 71, though you made me see many bitter things, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. When I survived another car bomb in Libya, I wasn't supposed to have been made, but God's word reminds me, don't be afraid of sudden terror For the Lord will be your confidence and keep you from falling. God's word speaks truth. When the official held the gun to my head, when we were stuck in a building during an earthquake and we didn't know if we could get out, we are reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We were chased by Al-Qaeda. God's word reminded us, the Lord is a feared warrior. Therefore, my pursuers will stumble. They will not overcome me. Dear friend, when you face hardship, don't listen to the lies of this word, a world, but return to God's word and celebrate and rejoice in the promise because God is good. Because God is good to read in Psalm 164. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Seven times simply means all the time. Regularly the psalmist is praising God for his righteous laws. We live in an unrighteous world. We live in an unjust uh, unjust world. We don't celebrate that, but we celebrate because God is just and God is righteous and God is sovereign. We had just landed after the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Over 200,000 people killed in the earthquake in 2010. We had used to, we had lived in Haiti and as we arrived and probably shouldn't tell this story, it's probably being recorded, great, but I had met this guy from Colombia. He's a businessman, had a private jet, and his business card just said logistics expert. He transported certain items from Central America to other countries. I didn't say drug dealer, I just said logistics expert. But I'd met him and he'd owed me a favor and so <laughs> nowhere the way to get into the earthquake zone but this gentleman had a way of getting something and someone to anywhere. So he flew us in to the earthquake zone within hours of the earthquake and as we arrived, the devastation left me speechless. I didn't know my way around anymore in the neighborhood I used to live in because everything had been destroyed and as we drove, the windows were down, all we could hear were just screams. Screams from below the rubble, people begging for help, and those above not knowing what to do. So we drove to this really, this almost this sea of hopelessness, of just, it was like a choir just singing the ugliest song of just desperation. Couldn't escape it. But as we drove, we 
came to an intersection. And the song changed. It was the most beautiful song I'd heard. It was a small group of people huddled on top of the rubble of what had used to been their church. They stood around an oil lamp. These people had lost everything. Most had lost someone and some had lost everyone. But there, just hours after this devastating earthquake, these people sang the most beautiful song, Messi Jésus, Messi Jésus, Haitian Creole for Thank you, Jesus. People who had lost everything recognized that in their loss, despite their loss, they could celebrate the goodness of God and thank him for life and his promise. Seven times I praise you for your righteous loss. It was the process of negotiating the release of Egyptian missionaries who had been held captive by the new government after the uh, fall of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. We were in the city of Benghazi. In fact, I was in the city of Benghazi the day before the American ambassador Stevens was killed by this mob. I was there the day before, and I got dragged into a pro-America rally. It just shows you how in the Middle East things can change but I was negotiating the release of a missionary, an Arab missionary who had been held captive for several weeks. And I had met with the wife, the missionary wife and her children. I was trying to convince her to flee the country. I said, hey, I can help you find an escape route through the desert. I have contacts. I can get you out of Libya to safety. That way, you know, at least you can take care of your kids. But she said, Mike, as my husband is in prison, we have only one life to give, and my children and I, we will praise God here. We will praise God despite persecution. We will praise God despite imprisonment. It is here that we choose and the rubble of our lives to praise God. Friend, even although your life might be difficult, learn to praise God. I guarantee you, when you learn to praise God in poverty, when you learn to praise God in crisis, when you learn to praise God in moments when it's hopeless, God will fill your heart with hope, and his word will give you perspective. Psalm 165. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. He's just a man on the run, a man being persecuted by evil men. And what is he writing? Great peace. In moments of storms, you can experience peace. When God's word, his law speaks into your life, God can calm every storm. This morning, I'd like to introduce you via video to a young man named Rene. When I met him, there was no peace in his life, but then Jesus changed everything. Let's watch this video. Hello, my name is René. I live in the city of Bregenz on Lake Constance. I'm 42 years old and my hobbies are cycling and swimming. I also enjoy hiking in the nearby mountains with my friends. My favorite food is schnitzel. 
It's always been my dream to travel to Israel and to discover the world more. Today, I would like to tell you the story of my spiritual journey. I was two or three when I was placed in the local children's home. My father was sent to prison, my mother lost her parental rights because she was a prostitute. So my home became the orphanage. At the orphanage I was placed in a group that was cared for by a Christian foster care couple. This group became my family and this is where I spent the first few years of my life. I remember being in school asking myself, why don't I have a mom? Why don't I have dad? What I missed was the love, comfort and sense of security that only parents can give. It was especially hard for me when other classmates brought their parents to school. When I would see happy families on the street, I would ask myself, why do I have to be in an orphanage? When I was nine years old, my life would change forever. My mother had gone missing and one month later they found her body, she had been murdered. That's when my world collapsed. That's when I withdrew from everything and everyone. I remember asking the same question over and over again. Why? Why did this happen? I learned about Jesus through the foster care family that took care of me. They took me to church and told me about God before bedtimes. So, as a kid, was exposed to matters of faith, but I didn't understand that you could have a personal relationship with God. But He was with me. I remember shortly before my mother was murdered that I asked God for His help. As I look back, it's evident that God was always with me and that he led me through those dark childhood years. As a teenager, I lost my way in life. When I was 14, I was placed in another group at the orphanage. That's when I discovered freedom to make my own decisions. I had just started my apprenticeship when I smoked my first joint. It didn't take long and I was addicted to hard drugs. Drugs gave me what I had always craved, freedom from my thoughts and memories. It's between experimenting with different drugs, I was constantly high on weed. God was completely off my radar. I quit my apprenticeship and sank deeper and deeper into a life of drugs and began committing crimes to finance my drug habit. In 2017, when my drug habit was getting out of hand, I was invited to a church service about 20 miles away from my hometown of Bregenz. That's when I sensed God was calling me home. God freed me completely from my drug addiction and I was baptized.
Then I found out that a new church had been planted near my apartment in Bregenz. I knew I needed a local church home, but was a bit apprehensive to go there. Then someone handed me an invitation on the street, and I really wrestled whether or not I should go. Then, one Sunday, I told God, you are going with me to this new church plant. And it was wonderful. Right away, I met such kind people. Right away, I felt like I found my home. I got plugged into church life, began to surf on the cleaning and media teams. The church gave me the stability I never had. What I love about God is how patient He has been with me. I am so amazed that I have constant access to Him, that He is always with me and how He has answered so many of my prayers. He is a God of second chances and He always helps you get back on your feet again. You have played a key role in Rene's story because you sent us to Bregenz. Your partnership enables us to continue our mission that has lasted nearly 20 years, planning churches in German-speaking Europe and serving in wars and disasters worldwide. On behalf of thousands of Renés around the world, thank you, and may the Lord of the Harvest richly bless you. Amen. The young man who found peace. I love when God's peace enters your heart and my heart. It's not this brief cessation of hardship, but his lasting peace. And for Rene, and Rene doesn't tell the whole story, his mother was killed by a serial killer. You can even read about his story and watch it on Netflix and other channels. And he said, Mike, I feel like the world just tells the wrong side of the story. He doesn't talk about the peace that came after this nightmare. And so Renee is part of a church plant that you've helped us start and helped renovate. So thank you for playing your part, even what we're doing in German-speaking Europe. Verse 166. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I follow your commands. It's an interesting thing to say, a man who is on the run, saying that he is waiting. Because isn't that exactly opposite what you do and what I do. When things get rough, when we get bad news, when we are overwhelmed by the hardships in our lives, what do we do? We use all of our energy to get out of the hardship as fast as we can. As fast as my legs can carry me, as far as I can get, we try to get away from hardship. But in our own strength, we can't escape. We'd once been in a car chase. We were surrounded by the Himalayan mountains. We, I was driving, and these guys came, and we had heard that there had been some lynchings of foreigners before. And you know you get a clue that things are going to be bad when these motorcycle gang guys come and start throwing huge bricks at your car. It's not very polite, in my opinion. We were surrounded by mountains, only one way out, but... You know, when someone throws rocks at me, I just don't like it. So I said, you know, we're getting out of here. So we started to drive, and I got a little mad, and I thought, okay, I don't want to kill these guys, but kind of rammed them a bit and sent a few to the hospital. So we're in this car chase, but we knew we wouldn't be able to get away. We were surrounded by mountains, 
nowhere to go, no help to be found. And then we saw this huge dump truck. They had called ahead, and this dump truck was coming down the road. And it was about to take us out when just by chance there was another car, and I was able to squeeze between this other car, and this dump truck just rammed us, and we flew into the ditch, but by God's grace, we survived. But this is a situation where it didn't matter how hard we try, we couldn't get away. It didn't matter how quickly we got out of the car, the corrupt police came and they threw us in jail. And before I knew it, someone had punched me in the head and had a gun in my face. It didn't matter how hard I worked, how hard I tried, how much I pulled myself up on my bootstraps. I couldn't get out of the hardship on my own. So the psalmist says, I wait for your salvation. Dear friend, also in your hardship, don't use all your energy to daydream to what could, how life could look like or use your energy to make all the plans and schemes to get out of the mess on your own. Wait for God's salvation. Because our God is good. It's the waiting that is so hard. So think of the a people group called the Forgotten People, the Saharawi, who had been in the desert in the Sahara for over 30 years, surrounded by the world's longest landmine wall. And in fact, people called them the Forgotten People. We'd flown there, we flew in there, survived an RPG. Again, people shooting at my plane. What's up with people these days? Just really rude. We landed, we arrived, and we began um, to set up supply chain to feed the forgotten people. Kids were starving. I'd never seen this in my life. Kids were chewing on ropes just to pretend to eat. And we asked them, why do you do this? That's a game we play. It's called banquet. We just pretend that we are eating. A desperate people, an unreached people group. But it wasn't too long that in the middle of the night, I can sleep through anything, but in the middle of the night, they had ripped our tent open and they grabbed me, covered my head and threw me in the back of the truck and drove me into the desert. You've seen the movie, it doesn't usually end very well for the person in the back of the pickup truck being driven through the desert. They took me to this militarized training camp, some terrorist training camp in the middle of the desert. There I was faced with a military commander who just simply said, who are you and why are you here? Being the model missionary, I decided to tell the truth. <laughs> I said, sir, it won't take long to go online to find out that I'm a missionary. That something means I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador representing God's kingdom. God has sent me on the mission, and I'm just simply here to deliver a message to the forgotten people. This message is from God. It's found in Psalm chapter 9, verse 18, where God speaks to you, sir, that the needy will not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor will not perish forever. Sir, your people have been waiting for help for decades. Sir, I'm here to tell you that God hasn't forgotten you. Sir, I'm here to help your people if you allow me. It got really quiet. In fact, it was so quiet in that office with the exception of this ceiling fan wheezing under the oppressive heat of the desert. It was quiet. But suddenly the man jumped up. He ran around the desk, grabbed me by the arm and said, Mike, so help me Allah, if you, if you come and help my forgotten people, you can do and you can say Whatever you like. 
Proverbs says the gift opens the door for the giver. And so as we came to the forgotten people, people waiting for salvation, waiting for hope, God opened their hearts and we were able to meet their physical needs, but we're also able to plant a church and we're seeing amongst this unreached people group, people falling in love and not only waiting for salvation, but experiencing God's wonderful salvation. Friend, if you're waiting for hope, Don't give up. Don't run away, but wait for salvation. God will come to your rescue at just the right time. And then the last two verses. I obey your statutes, for I I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. See, we come to God's word because it helps us to realign with reality. God's word puts our life back into perspective and we we see the hope and the promise and that God throughout the history of mankind has been faithful. So we love his law. It helps us to understand ourselves. It helps us to understand our past and it gives us hope for the future. But the future to God is not some nebulous idea, some foggy thing, because God, this master architect, this planner who's been involved since the creation of the universe, has already engineered your life, including your future. So your ways are known to him. God's word says in Psalm 119 as well that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. You understand that back then they didn't have spotlights, of course, They had oil lamps. So I'm not saying that you come to God's word and suddenly, wow, your whole life, just you'll know who you're going to marry. You're going to just know everything. How many grandkids are you going to have? God's word helps you one step of the way, like a little oil lamp. You'll only be able to see your next step, but God's word is faithful in leading you day by day. But to him, to God, your ways are known to him. We don't always understand them. We were church planting in Austria, in this western region of Austria. We've planted in this capital city, this county seat, the, the first evangelical church several years ago. And we're seeing God do some really wonderful things like Renee. People are falling in love with the Lord and are being discipled. And we decided to go further into the Alps, about 40, 40 minutes into the mountain region called the Bregenzer Wald. If you don't like snow, don't go here because in the top villages where people still live, they get about 30 feet of snow. It's a lot of snow. It is. But really, there had been no church present. There had been really no gospel exposure, and so we planted a church there. But we weren't the first. You see, as you look in church history, a little less than 500 years ago, the first missionary came to the Bregenzerwald, to this alpine region. He had traveled, and hard to believe 500 years ago how far he traveled, 1,000 miles approximately, to deliver the gospel to this small village of Au in the mountain region. Lived in a farm that had just been built, and he started actually the first school so kids could learn how to read and write, and he proclaimed the gospel. And there the small group of Anabaptists began to gather for for about six, seven years. But then persecution came. 
If you know history, the Anabaptists were brutally persecuted. They were drowned in Lake Constance. You saw the lake on the video. They were drowned in the river. They were sent across the mountains in the winter to die. Only a few of the Anabaptists were able to escape. The church had been planted, but they had been destroyed. And then for 500 years, there was nothing. So we come and we begin to proclaim the gospel. And when we never forget, we met our first few meetings, we met in a farmhouse. It was a farmhouse about 550 years old. And we met in this, on this organic goat farm now, but this building had been around forever. And there I preached my first message in the Bregan Savad, perhaps the first gospel message that had been preached in hundreds of years, the the priests in this village had told me over his dead body would a church ever be established. Got a little angry when he said that. I wanted to say, well, my line of work, I can probably have it arranged, but I didn't say that. <laughs> but we faced the opposition, and it was really difficult. But on this first service, there were about 20, 25 people. I'd never heard the gospel, and so we preached it, and one person followed Jesus that day. It was a wonderful moment. It wasn't later till I talked to the farmer when I asked them about the history of this farmhouse when we realized that the very room that we were in was the schoolhouse where this Anabaptist missionary had begin, began to plant the seed 500 years ago. You see, we, we see our lives in mere footnotes in these small iterations of time, but God sees the history of rescuing mankind, salvation, in this long line of events. To him, 500 years are nothing. And at the very place where blood was shed for the sake of gospel, that blood watered the seed of the gospel. And now 500 years later, Laura and I and our team have simply the privilege of re-proclaiming the good news to a village of people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see yet again our ways might not be understood to us. We might not understand the future, but our ways are known by God. I hope you find hope in that. Perhaps you don't see a way out. Perhaps you woke up this morning thinking, I is there even a point going to church? Is there, is there a point of even getting out of bed? It's just going to be the same. All oh, perhaps you're facing a difficult week. Perhaps you're facing conflict. But turn to God's word. You see the psalmist, despite persecution, someone who is not giving up, who can rejoice in God's promises, who can wait on God's salvation, knowing that his way is secure because our God is sovereign. Dear church, my encouragement to you is simple. Don't give up. Hold on to the promises of God's word. And my prayer is simple. May the Lord of the harvest richly bless every one of you. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Quickly before we close the service this morning. I want to ask if you would just, uh, just as a way for you to reflect for a moment, would you close your eyes? And I want to ask if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus by faith in God's Son, Jesus. 
Mike spoke to us this morning about the Word of God and in the New Testament the Apostle John wrote, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us and we have seen his glory. That Word is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent to us to proclaim that gospel that we proclaim as a church, that Mike proclaims in German-speaking Europe and that churches all over the world are proclaiming that God saves through faith in Jesus. If you don't have that kind of relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus, know this, that God sent his son Jesus to bear your sin, to die for it. He raised him on the third day, and he's coming again, and he will rule in justice and in righteousness forever and ever. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, you don't know the forgiveness of your sins, your hope is not secure in God today, you can have that. It's not because I lead you in a prayer. It's not because I know the right words. It's because God has sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And by trusting him, you will know him. Today, if you don't have that kind of relationship, I would love the privilege to lead you to that. And so if that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, would you very quickly just raise your hand so that we can pray together and help you express that trust in him today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand quickly? Is there anybody like that? We're going to close this service in prayer. And uh, if you would like to pray with someone, maybe there is a situation in your life where you need the assurance of God's word and you need a brother or sister to pray with you to be encouraged through that circumstance that is difficult in your life right now. You need to be reminded of God's perspective. We have prayer partners and some pastors and they will be available for prayer at the front of the sanctuary when the service is over. We would invite you to come and pray with somebody. But let's close in prayer together, church. Heavenly Father, today we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for an encouraging word that we see the gospel spreading around the world. We also thank you for the encouraging word that your word is still working and speaking in the lives of believers, and that means in our lives, as we will turn to it, we will trust it, we will wait on you for salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. May we not lose sight of the perspective that your word gives to us that our hope should be in you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to return to your great and precious promises so that we can receive the encouragement we need to be steadfast and immovable in the work to which you've called us. We pray, Lord, that we would return and that we would not grow faint-hearted and weary and tired in the work you've called us to do, but that in returning to your word we would receive strength Holy Spirit we call on you this morning that as we turn to your word day by day week by week morning by morning that we would receive from it that light that life giving source of of hope and of strength that we need to take the next step as your word sheds light on it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that. I pray for those who are in need of that gracious guidance today. Would you supply it through your word? We trust you to do it. We believe you will do it because your word promises. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. We believe for these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you would like prayer, please come. We will be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, we will see you again on Wednesday when we continue to pray together. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.